0: osteopathy students with me Chelsea and my good friend V. How you doing V. Hello I'm good thank you. We haven't talked in such a long time. I know it's been it's been like a whole two weeks not.
1: (laughs) We talk every day.
0: (laughs) But we're back talking to you after Christmas and New Year. We hope you've had a Bloody lovely Christmas, New Year, as much as possible. Yeah. You know, even with all restrictions and whatnot. No matter where you are in the world, I think everyone's had a had a few lockdowns and things, haven't they?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I always forget that people outside of like England listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like, and then I was looking at the little Buzzsprout like location statistics, and I was like, holy shit, it's forty four different countries. I know. And territories um, that listen to or have listened to the podcast. I'm like, crikey, I see, I see. That's quite nerve wracking.
0: Yeah, it's a bit crazy. But thank you. If you're living in a different country, yeah, please do get in touch. We're sorry for our English centric (laughs)
1: focus. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe you celebrate Christmas. We hope you had a good one. Or if you Mm. just had a lovely break in December, sounds good
0: too yeah sounds good so speaking of breaks V what were you up to over your Christmas break
1: my uh, I actually was very 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 lucky in that my immediate family were all together um and my older brother and his girlfriend actually left London the week before the lockdown got brought into place, which I was very thankful for. um, Because you know when you just, your family behaves better when they're all together? Mm -hmm. And like, especially when people's partners are with you and you're just like, it all, it's all like a little (laughs) bit more seamless and less bickery and all of that sort of stuff. But that's what Christmas is really about. (laughs) Surviving the bickering. I don't know about you. And the
0: board games. Surviving oh yeah, so games. many board
1: games. Chelsea introduced me to the best game, Taskmaster. Da-da, um da-da, which da-da, I did play with my family. And my dad actually won. Um did he? Yeah, it was very, very nice. good. So if nice. you're interested in a new game, I'd highly recommend Taskmaster. Very good. Or Quacks of Quendlenburg. What, so, <laughs> what
0: is that?
1: <laughs> I know. Quacks of Quendlenburg is a board game and I thought it was gonna be really shit because it's a bit sort of like Dungeons and Dragons nineteen nineties esque. But I love yeah. it. It's really good. And Settlers of Catan, Citadels, that sort of stuff. Very, very mm. good. I get very competitive nice. though. And then when you're adding on drink to that, it's just like you're not actually very <laughs> at the top of your game, are you? Yeah. yeah but it's good it's good how was your christmas period
0: christmas it was good something that i said to jack before i was like kind of looking forward to christmas this year because i've got two weeks off and get to see family and get loads of presents and uh, Jack was like, yeah, Chelsea, that is Christmas. <laughs> that, is, that is what Christmas is. But yeah, so we went to Jack's mum's and his brother and his brother's girlfriend was there and Jack has two younger siblings who are 12 and 13. So that makes it all kind of that little bit fun when you've got some kids around at Christmas because they're, you know, still yeah. like super pumped, which is, which is really cool. We also played lots of board games, uh, also the Taskmaster board game, and we did it all in teams. Oh, nice. Which was, which was super, super fun. Also just absolutely ludicrous <laughs> in some, some aspects. Also played a game called Linky. You Ooh, played that before? Not heard of that. It's quite fun. You do it in teams as well. And essentially there's four questions on a card. You start to answer each question. You have to guess the link between them. Oh, that's nice. Some of them are like what is this and then you know the answer you're like that's so obvious and other ones it's just like you just get it you kind of form an idea after the first two and then it's like I think it's this and the third one comes in you're like it's this yeah and you've got you have to shout linky first yeah Um, if you just shout the answer it doesn't count Uh so sometimes you're like you just shout the answer and it doesn't count so then it ends up going to the other team That's good. I bet you and Jack, if you were a team, would
1: make a really good team because your brains just work in that way, don't they?
0: Yeah, we're a very good team. There was another game that we played, Articulate. (laughs) And um, we're good at that. Dangerous
1: game. (laughs)
0: Dangerous game. (laughs) We're good at that in teams because he'll just read through stuff, or like I'll read through stuff. And it's like kind of, I understand how to speak Jack and he understands how to speak Chelsea. Yeah. So we just kind of like, we just hammer them off quite quickly. That's a prime
1: argument game in my household. (laughs) That's
0: a no go. So I love a board game, though. Love a board game. Yeah,
1: and I feel like seeing as it's a bit miserable weather, wasn't it? So Mm. it's really nice when it's like two degrees and it's nice and crisp and sunny outside. But you get maybe three of those days out of like a twenty day Mm. period, and the rest is just really rainy. And Mm. you have to like I have to drag Evie outside and have to put like a coat on her. So that she doesn't get drenched, because she's got essentially like a half of a bald bum
0: at the moment because of her (laughs) amputation. Just to make it clear, listeners, if this is your first episode, this is V's dog we're talking about, (laughs) not like a relative or
1: something. (laughs) My dog (laughs) had her leg amputated in November. Yeah, November. Mm. And obviously they have to shave the area, which is just like the whole of her bum has been bald. So they've been covering up, but she hates coats or jumpers or anything like that. She walks like she has no back legs at all. (laughs) So she has one (laughs) remaining, but she just like the whole of her backside starts dragging along the floor. And I'm just (laughs) like, it's just a little bit of rain. And then she like tries to hide under your coat and it's the right faff. I quite like it. It means like cozy board game sort of weather, isn't
0: it? Yes, indeed. But yeah, definitely, booze was drank, games were Mm -hmm. played, food was ate. Yeah, overall, nice, nice little break. Yeah, pretty chill. Didn't get to see obviously all the family that like. See, like, um, yeah. I haven't really spent any time with my family. We just spent time with Jack's, phone calls and whatnot. Covered, covered the gaps a bit.
1: You have like an annual, like during the Christmas period, when everyone normally has like an annual, like you see this relative or yeah. like you make the trip that you make to like see mm. like your brand- grandparents and your aunties and uncles and stuff like that and your cousins. And I really missed that this year.
0: Yeah, like we normally call it the Christmas tour because <laughs> yeah. it's both of mine and Jack's parents are divorced. So there's a yeah. lot of people to see. We didn't obviously didn't do that this year. And in a way it was like... Nice because there's less running around, you know, you've got more time to just kind of relax and decompress. We got to see um Jack's dad just before Christmas, which was quite nice. There's a restaurant in Bath that has a balcony area outdoors. Oh nice. So you can go and sit down and, you know, have a meal mm. there with people not from your house. Well, you can't now because we're now in tier three, but yeah. before we were in tier two. We could have a meal and also they're really good at gluten-free and vegan stuff. Speaking of the food what you got drinks and snacks-wise, V? <laughs> I've got no
1: snacks, and I'm really jealous because you've got really good snacks, but I have mm. got a matcha latte. Fancy bitch that I am. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. And this is my attempt to go to decrease the amount of coffee and tea I'm drinking, especially coffee, is to have a matcha. And so yeah. far, I've just had a matcha in the morning. i not had any caffeine for the rest of it, <gasps> and that's for five days so far six days oh I'm so proud of you thank you thank you it wasn't a resolution it was just something that I knew I needed to do nice (laughs) fair
0: enough yeah question for you what's your go-to non-milk milk milk for your matcha lattes uh soy milk
1: I would like oat milk but it is slightly Mm. more expensive and what are your snacks and drinks for today
0: so I got myself a caramel rooibos tea Today, feeling Yum. the warmth and the yeah. nourishment, you know, just like the smoothness yeah. of that tea. Very much needed. And I've also got some not-so-healthy slash little bit healthy <laughs> sorted caramel nuts. Yum. Mm.
1: Yeah. Um. These are mm. the sorts of things, though, that you start off with just like, I'll just have them next to me so occasionally if I'm peckish. But then mm. because they're in front of you you eat like the whole pack or the whole bowl oh, yeah. or something like that. And then it's actually like you've eaten a whole bowl of salted caramel yeah. nuts. And it's
0: like, fuck. Uh, yeah, it's so easy because it's like, um, I love like I love nuts and stuff. And I'm a general grazer. I mm. would, you know, things like Thales, like Indian Thales or um, Meses for oh. like Greek food and stuff like that my fucking dream tapas love that shit I just want a little taste of everything <laughs> love you know. that shit love thank it thank you so <laughs> <laughs> but i love it so i'm such a grazer like i love to just continually snack and just try little bits of everything so because of that i'm just like i don't want to have things like chocolate and crisps and whatever because that's like the easy thing to do so i always go for nuts and i know that nuts are obviously really high in fat but they've definitely got more nutrients in it than a bag of crisps and a bag of chocolate yeah so um so that's normally why i go for like nuts and dried fruit and things like that but i can i can literally fucking pound a whole jar Again,
1: very easily, Just absolutely smash that. Smash it. <laughs> yeah, easy peasy. it's it's really like anything in front of me, I will start picking it. Just mm. when I was doing nannying like a couple of years ago, my like top tip for like when I was making dinner for the kids and stuff like that, mm. if they started coming in being like, "Oh, can I have a sweet or something like that?" Get out a pack of frozen peas and release <laughs> them. Don't know what it is about frozen peas, but I think it's because. You don't eat them frozen normally, and kids are like, "What the fuck? This is weird." Just give them the frozen peas; they'll be fine,
0: and they'll peas have like a, a couple fucking of them. Worst thing in the world. What? I fucking hate peas. <laughs> How do you hate peas? There's, there's no taste to them. They're
1: there's disgusting. nothing about them.
0: That's there a, is a taste. There is definitely a taste of peas, and they are gross.
1: You are they wrong.
0: I can eat Frozen, fresh. In the tin yep. as a mushy pea
1: situation. Oh, oh my God, yeah. You used to have mushy peas out the tin, heat it up on some toast.
0: Or you just mushy ruined tea- toast. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> mushy peas, heat it up. You know that old tin that you used to get? I think it's more of a Northern thing, but I don't know. Yeah. But, um, and then some Dorito crisps.
0: Oh, um, hey, mate, you just... <laughs> That's fucking horrible. <laughs> that is horrible. Oh... <laughs> uh, <laughs> No. <laughs> if you have any weird <laughs>
1: snacks that you like, because apparently this is a strange snack, <laughs> listener, please. me. I'd love to know it. what your weird snacks that you think are delicious. I would really I can love see it, to know. Yeah. I so can see it. you can just, whenever this episode comes out, you can go onto our social media and just be like, my favorite weird snack that everyone else thinks is disgusting is this. Yeah,
0: we'll do a thing on. Um an Instagram story of getting yeah. people to tell us their weird snacks or whatever, and we'll share it with the world. Yeah. But I'm very much for weird combinations of food, but you have just absolutely destroyed <laughs> me with Doritos dipped in mushy peas. That's Yeah, put a little bit of salt and pepper, some
1: cayenne chilli in. Mate. Delicious. Maybe some Tabasco. <laughs> nice. <laughs>
0: but yeah, peas and sweet corn. um, Sweet corn as well I sort of get, you know when you're at
1: like a barbecue or something like that Mm. And they have corn on the cob It's like, are you joking? Because now I can't talk to anyone Because you've got fucking corn bits (laughs) in your
0: teeth And you look like you've got a brace
1: of corn in your mouth And you're like, how am I meant to actually be social with this Like (laughs) vegetable torture device? But
0: I do think Mm. they're tasty i'll tell you one thing that's weird like it's weird to freeze it but tastes amazing is frozen (laughs) grapes oh yeah frozen grapes are great yeah they're like because they get even sweeter as well don't they Mm. have you ever had cotton candy grapes
1: i was literally about to ask you this (laughs) (laughs) both i love that we're already on a massive tangent
0: yeah but cotton candy grapes are amazing I haven't seen them for a couple of years actually, but they just taste like candy floss. They are amazing.
1: amazing. I think you can get them in M&S nowadays, but they kind of remind me of lychees and I fucking like, lyche- mm. I love lychees. Mm. I reckon they're like one of my top favorite fruit, but you don't get them in this country. And if you do get them, they're like shrivelly little ball bags and it's like <laughs> a really thick outer case. And it's like six pounds for like six lychee. And it's like, mate, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> shrivelly little ball bags. But what is this? Happy 2021! Happy 2021! <laughs> <2021. laughs>
0: Shovely little ball bag. <laughs> we should talk a little bit about how season two is changing, guys. Yes, but that's what we wanted to chit-chat about. Text <laughs> 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 me fresh.
1: Yeah. Before we started recording, we we're like, right, this is the plan. And we've completely mm. deviated from that. It's the peas,
0: man. It's the peas has thrown me off. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Yeah, we wanted to chat because we're
1: mixing it up slightly for season two, which is exciting, thrilling. We've had feedback from people. So we're going to have main episodes, which is the thing that you're listening to now, just in case you didn't know. And we're going to be talking all about osteopathy and what we're Mm -hmm. up to at the moment in uni and all of that sort of stuff. And then we're going to be talking about our alternative complementary treatments and all of that sort of stuff. And then my fave, not gonna lie, no, you shouldn't have favourites, but I do, and it's the medical stories. We're gonna be talking about them. And then, in a little mini episode, we're gonna be doing A and P, so anatomy and physiology mini episodes, where we're gonna be running through topics like the respiratory system. And mm. We're gonna break down sort of structure and function, and how things work in those systems, and all of that sort of stuff, so you can get it in a nice, easy, digestible little episode and you can just listen to that for like 10-15 minutes if you're curious about something or if you're cramming for an exam or an essay or something like that or you're like i just want to know the simple facts about this
0: yeah that will be for you and for those of you that listen to the podcast that are like i just skip past the anatomy but anyway because i genuinely don't understand the words that you're saying you don't have to worry about it anymore exactly and for those of our fellow uni pals You're going to really be thankful for us because we're going to base each section on our learning outcomes. So, yeah, we got you guys.
1: (laughs) Trying to mix uni work with podcasting so that we don't have to do double the amount of work.
0: Efficiently using our time. Exactly. I mean,
1: we're trying to pass and succeed in a master's degree in osteopathy. So we're trying to be clever about this. (laughs) Chelsea, you had an exciting morning. Do you want to tell us about morning. your
0: osteopathy visit? I went to go and see an osteopath today. Woo, woo, woo. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about that and um, my experience, because guess what? I'm weird. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not weird, really. I'm, uh, I've just got some interesting things occurring in my bodies. So those of you that, that know, that listened to the podcast before will know that I have a neurological condition called idiopathic intracranial hypertension which essentially means there's a problem with the flow of spinal fluid going through my body it gets stuck and kind of sits around my brain and puts pressure on my brain which obviously causes what you can imagine a delightful selection of symptoms
1: Yeah, some real party tricks you got
0: Mmm, it's tasty, tasty tasty (laughs) Uh, One of the main ones I have is something called pulsating tinnitus which is where I can hear my pulse in my head which one thing I think is, this is a complete sidetrack, but that's why I think I'm quite good at keeping time, because my <laughs> resting heart rate is at 58 beats per minute. So pretty much each beat is a second. Wow. Because so, I can hear that. That's why I think I'm quite good at keeping that's time. That's very handy. Mm, mm. So there's positives in yeah. everything personally have not got on incredibly well with more conventional medicinal treatment of this condition, which is essentially a diuretic medication, which has, you know, given me some nasty side effects. So I wanted to try and manage this separately with osteopathic treatment. And I'm a student, a yoga teacher, it's been coronavirus, I'm poor, (laughs) poor, poor, poor. So it's taken me a while to be able to go and see an osteopath, but I found one and it was the first time I went to see him today and he was a bloody delight. You that lovely chap he also went to uco but when it was bso and uh so we went through my very detailed case history <laughs> <which> <laughs> I, I been a long to... old notes for him oh yeah i said to v beforehand i was like i'm just hoping that we get to treatment <laughs> because it's gonna take long enough going through all of that stuff but he also asked me some really interesting questions around it of things that i'd never really thought of in relation to it before which is quite cool. So it was really interesting to see kind of uh, from a different perspective of asking these questions to find out a bit more about me. And one of the things he asked is if I had had any um, head trauma hmm. or anything when I was young, um, like at any point, if I'd been in a car accident, if i had whiplash and things like that. I remembered when I was 20 months old, so when my mum went into labour with my brother on the day, I fell down the stairs. <laughs> because obviously, as the eldest child... I didn't want any focus taken away from me. That's clearly what happened. (laughs) So you threw yourself down the stairs. Yeah, apparently. I was 20 months old. I mean, who knows what my cognitive ability was at that time and what I thought. (laughs) But but yeah, so that's obviously, you know, I rolled down the stairs. Um, So interesting to, you know, that could have had an impact. Who knows? But apart from that, I don't, I mean, everyone bangs their head on something every now and again, right? That's uh, common. Apart from that, nothing else really. But um, I said to him that I thought that all down my back, all the muscles down my back from my head all the way down to my feet is shortened and tight, is Mm. what I believe.
1: Mm.
0: He did an assessment of my back and uh, saw that obviously everything in my neck all across my shoulders are tight. He was like, I want to just put my hands on your shoulders and push you down because everything's so like Mm. hiked up. Very, very little movement in my thoracic spine your thoracic spine is from the bottom of your neck down to like midway through your back so it's where all your ribs are attached. My lumbar spine is rotated slightly. Slight rotation in the lumbar spine. And he said that (laughs) shortly within classes when they need models like I'm going to be looked at a lot because I'm interesting. Yeah. With how my spine is structured I was like that's kind of cool. So what he wanted to do was do some work to try and loosen up the thoracic spine to get into that area and also in the sub occipital area so this is if you think about your skull and where your skull meets your neck so at the very very top and then underneath there you've got like muscles and stuff so sub being below and so all of my muscles around there I could feel as soon as he touched it was just like fucking rock solid and very tight under Mm. a lot of tension So he was pushing like quite deep into the muscles and I was just like, oh god, don't ever stop. That's great. (laughs) Just keep going for it. Had a very nice crack of the thoracic spine, which was tasty, tasty, tasty. I was led on my back, so in supine, and had my hands, you know like when you hug yourself? That's the best one! I love that. And then he rolled me to the side, put his hand underneath in the place and pushed me back down and cracked it. Which was scrummy. Yeah, a lot of work on, like, subscapularis and stuff, teres minus all around Mm -hmm. the shoulders and things. But, yeah, he can see that all of those muscles, everything's super, super tight. So going to keep going back um, every couple of weeks and to get kind of deep into those areas. So, guys, I'll keep you up to date and let you know. Because that's the thing, is that because I can hear my pulse in my head, when it goes quiet or it disappears, I know that my pressure's lower. Mm -hmm. So I've got a really easy gauge of understanding how high my pressure is. So... I'll keep you all up to date and uh let you know how we get on but yeah yeah it's already i was walking down the street like oh yeah (laughs) i can feel it that feels good but now i'm starting to get the bit it's like oh yeah now it starts to hurt you know
1: the bit after treatment you're like yeah yeah a little bit more (laughs) Mm. sore tender before you can feel the loosey-goosiness
0: yeah for sure so it's very exciting But I'm intrigued. Now that I'm putting my hands on my own lumbar spine, I can definitely feel the teepees more on the right than the left. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that I'm just like, oh, yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, it's much more prominent. Like the teepees, the transverse processes of the the vertebral column, is definitely, can definitely feel there's a lot more. So, fellow uni pals, if you want to feel my back when I see you next, get involved. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you could tell like all of the osteopaths or osteopathy students are like, I really want to palpate that now to see mm. what it's like. That sounds so cool. It sounds like you had a really positive, enjoyable first experience.
0: Yeah, it was great. And he was a really, really lovely chap, just kind of really inquisitive, really excited that I was a student, and you know, we were talking about because we've obviously gone to this I'm at the Uni he's to go-to, so yeah. talking about that stuff. Yeah, lovely experience.
1: And Chelsea's also got our little CAMS treatment discovery mm. option mm. today. Mm. And it's a word I can't pronounce, so I won't introduce it.
0: <laughs> so today, dear listeners, we're not talking about a complementary therapy or an alternative therapy. We're talking about integrative therapy. Right. What does that mean? That's a whole new thing that I've learned. So complementary we, I think we've talked a bit about it before, but complementary medicine is that you do it along with uh, modern medicinal treatment. Yeah. Alternative therapy is that you do it without. Mm. So, for example, you can go and see an osteopath along while going to see a neurologist, and that will be complementary treatment. You can be like, I never want to see a neurologist again, or ever. I never want to go to my GP again, nothing like that. And you just do things like osteopathy or yoga ayurveda you know anything like that and that is an alternative medicine because you're not using modern medicine this is integrative medicine which is actively integrating into modern medicine ah okay interesting i see i see tell me more so this is and i'm gonna mispronounce it (laughs) definitely at least five times throughout this episode today so i do apologize but it is anthroposophic medicine.
1: Anthroposophic medicine. I'm writing it down so I can visualize the word because otherwise I'm just gonna be like, what.
0: So think, think anthropology. And so anthropology is the study of humans, society and society development within humans. And so anthroposophy means the wisdom of and about the human being.
1: Ooh, this sounds interesting. Right, I'm gonna tuck my chair in.
0: Sit down, everybody. Yeah, (laughs) get comfy. Here we go. Uh, anthroposophic medicine is an integrative medicine approach and it's practiced in over 60 countries worldwide, which extends modern biotechnology-based medicine with a holistic whole-person approach to diagnosis and therapy. Ooh. It's interesting that it? we got that word holistic back yeah. in the game again. Back in the game. So it was devised in the early 1920s by someone called Rodolf Steiner and also Eiter wegman Rodolf Steiner was an Austrian philosopher, social reformer, architect, esotericist, and also apparently a clairvoyant. Oh, that's quite so busy a busy man. Quite a CV you've got going on there, Rudolf. Busy, busy, busy old man he was. Essentially, Steiner wanted to find a synthesis between science and spirituality. Okay. Okay. So, Steiner advocated a form of ethical individualism, to which he later brought a more explicitly spiritual approach. He based his epistemology on, apologies for pronunciation of this person's name, (laughs) Johann Wolfgang Goethe's worldview, in which thinking is no more and no less an organ of perception than the eye or ear just as the eye perceives colors and the ear sounds so thinking perceives ideas a consistent thread that runs from his earliest philosophical phase through to his later spiritual orientation is the goal of demonstrating that there are no essential limits to human knowledge damn i told you it was heavy didn't that? yeah you don't
1: <laughs> think about that sort of stuff while you're having your brekkie do you
0: not really no
1: deep at night insomnia sort of thoughts isn't it Mm.
0: yes so it's it's pretty big it's pretty pretty heavy had these kind of very interesting ideas then ita wegman so she was born in west java which is in indonesia and is the first child of a dutch colonial family Mm. And around the turn of the century, so around like 1900 sort of time, she returned to Europe and started to study therapeutic gymnastics and massage, which I wow. thought was cool. Therapeutic, therapeutic gymnastics, gymnastics is something I kind of want to learn more about. Yeah. And find out. Yeah. Especially in 1900. <laughs> Little teddy bear role. Oh, yeah. Wait. Therapy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she met Rodolf Steiner in um, 1902 when she was 26. Five years later she began medical school at the University of Zurich where women were not discriminated to study medicine. <laughs> Zurich. Zurich Well done, thank you very much. Thanks. She was granted a diploma as a medical doctor in 1911 with a a specialization in women's medicine and joined an existing medical practice. In the early 1920s, so around sort of like 1921, this is when, after the two of them had met in kind of 1902, so it's almost been 20 years that they had known each other for, they founded the first anthroposophical medical unit in Arlesheim, which is in Switzerland, known until 2014 as the Eiter Wegman Clinic. Okay. She also developed a special form of massage therapy called rhythmical massage. We'll talk more about that shortly. And other self claimed therapeutical treatments. In 1922, she founded a therapeutic home for mentally handicapped children, also in the same place where the Anthroposophical med- uh, Medical Unit was, and co founded a pharmaceutical laboratory, Walida. You heard of Walida? Yeah. Yeah, so she co founded it. What the hell? <laughs> That oh. has since grown into a significant producer of medicines and healthcare products. Damn. yeah. So she's quite the lady. Quite yeah, the lady. she's a
1: busy old gal, isn't she?
0: Yeah. It's also worth I think worth noting that Steiner died in 1925, and they founded this in 1921. So he was only around for the very kind of early part of the development of this, and she mm. kind of really did carry it forward. Back to <laughs> anthroposophic medicine. Uh, so. The medicine itself has its roots in German idealist philosophy, theosophy, so theosophy that kind of includes, like, Plato, Hinduism, oh, right. Buddhism, and the whole idea that's kind of bringing all of these different theologies sort of together. Um, other influences include Gothian science and also Rosicrucianism. That's- these things are all very complex. I've uh, tried to get a small summary of what each of these things mean, but it is a challenge. But essentially, a lot of it, what it is, is bringing all of these different kind of um, theologies, ideas, religions, stuff like that all together to kind of make sense out of bringing a connection between science and spirituality. Interesting. This is kind of the whole thing around it. Yeah. So anthroposophic medicine is an integrative system that improves health outcomes. It has been proven within studies that it improves the health outcomes of patients. This includes physical, psychological, and social health of the patient, okay? Ringing some bells, osteopathy students? Yes, it is. (laughs) Physical, psychological, social health of the patient. It places a high value on the doctor-patient relationship. So one thing that happens quite a lot with this is how the doctor and the nurses communicate with the patient. They're there to be a companion. They're there to support the patient, talk to them, understand them. It's a really big part of the work that they do. So the idea is, is that it combines conventional medicine with special therapies and special medicines as well. Anthroposophic medicine starts the same as modern medicine does with the diagnosis, but the physician and the therapist is not guided simply by the physical symptoms and the illness of the diagnosis. Instead, they examine the psychological, mental, and spiritual aspects of the patient's experience, the capacity for self-healing, and the ability for continuous development. So I think that's quite interesting where it's just not like, I've got this pain in my knee, gonna go and have an MRI you've uh, got knee osteoarthritis, off you go. Mm. It's like it's incorporating kind of the spiritual capabilities, the mental state as well with the patient, which is very interesting. So the bridge between the physical and emotional element in the diagnosis and treatment is only one of unique founding principles of the anthroposophic medicine. In addition, the doctor or therapist observes the patient's whole personality and characteristics Including aspects of physical build and body language, flow of movement, type of handshake, sleep patterns, heat and cold intolerance, and respiration and physical rhythms.
1: Wow. I know, right? <laughs> very like large scope of things that they're looking at. Yeah. This is so interesting and I love how patient centred, as we mm. know the term today, this is. Yeah. Mm.
0: Very interesting. It's really interesting, isn't it? So the human being is seen and understood on four planes. And these four planes are incredibly similar to the Ayurveda and mm. the planes of the human that they look like there. So the first one is the material physical plane, which is the examinable physically or technically as in conventional medicine. So what you would do, you know, in normal medicine. Um, The second plane, the life forces plane or vitality of an individual. The third is the mental plane, which can be understood as the psychological or emotional realm. And then the fourth is the individual plane. So this is the the spiritual individuality or character of the person, sometimes known as the ego. So they assess a patient on all four of these planes to put together a diagnosis and treatment plan. So, when creating detailed medical history and making the resulting choice of individually tailored medication, cooperation between doctor and patient is essential for recovery. Recovery is a collaboration process in which the doctor includes the patient at every step and which the patient will actively participate. I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. And what's really interesting is if you go to an anthroposophic Hospital. it looks exactly the same as a normal hospital, as any other hospital that you would visit. Yeah. And treatments range literally from accident and emergencies. You've got A&E departments Mm -hmm. all the way through to intensive care, including including surgery, paediatrics, like absolutely everything, because it's very much based on modern medicine, but including a wider approach to the patient's treatment that isn't just physical I want to go treatment. to one I want really
1: to go to loads of them mm. it's
0: wow. really interesting and so some of the treatments that are included so you know you have your usual treatments that you would receive but also lots of massage techniques with medicated rubs you have very specific nurses nurses are in inte- I mean nurses are integral anywhere but especially with this and how they treat the patients they've got mm. a huge 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 role to play especially with that connection with the patient Because one of their main things they have to do is um, provide companionship to Mm. them as well. Other treatments include things like counselling, Eurythmy, which is claimed to have an effect on inner life functions, leading to a reintegration of body, soul, and spirit.
1: Oh, this is the
0: stuff! I know. So there's lots of other things like they use different medications. There are things that are kind of quite similar to homeopathy in terms of like that dilution sort of process as well. This rhythmic massage that Aita herself created um, is used quite a lot as well. It's in very specific rhythms, very specific movements, using very specific medicated rubs and things like that. There are currently approximately 24 anthroposophic medical institutions, which include hospitals, a whole hospital, whole hospitals themselves, departments in hospitals, rehabilitation centers, and inpatient healthcare centers in Germany, Switzerland, Sweden, Italy, the Netherlands, and the United States. Wow. So none in the UK? No, because they hate us.
1: (laughs) I'm joking. But interesting (laughs) that it's so
0: heavily European based this is obviously just conjecture and it's just from where I've kind of looked at this research it's very German centric which Mm -hmm. is why I think it's really shunned in the UK yeah yeah potentially due to the time it came around which is 1921 yeah exactly oh it's 100 years old oh yeah oh cute (laughs) um that's that's why I've got it's very like Germany Switzerland do you know what I mean the first he's Austrian
1: yeah also like a Britain is like very rightly so um proud of our NHS so the space to have something like uh anthroposophic medicine is probably quite a small little bracket for them to weasel into
0: yeah there are also approximately 180 anthroposophic outpatient clinics worldwide ah in which anthroposophic physicians and therapists work together. Um, anthroposophic physicians also work in their own practices as well. So we don't know the exact number. Mm. There is um, an association in the UK. There are trainings provided in the UK. All the training is very much post-grad. So if you're already a doctor or a nurse or something like that, then you can go and train in this sort of stuff. But um, I haven't looked into except It does look like there's a few pet places in the UK that, mm. that offer this sort of treatment, but I've never heard it talked about before. No, I've never heard that
1: word before or seen it written down before.
0: Yeah, and uh, dear listener, how I did come across it in the first place was that I went onto Wikipedia and looked at a list of alternative therapies and it was there. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I found it. Cherry picked that one. (laughs) Yes. So obviously, especially within Western medicine, all of these sorts of things are very much looked upon as it's not real, it doesn't really work. Yeah, it's all woo-woo stuff, isn't it? There's a lot of negative thoughts around this sort of stuff, especially because because of Steiner's links to clairvoyancy, and they talk about how it's based on the occult mm. and things like this, and they're very much all of these philosophies that it's taken stuff from, are all from these people that were very much trying to change society in a different way and had these yeah. kind of different thoughts um patterns on how society should be structured and all that stuff. So I think it's definitely pushed down quite a lot. And also they say that a lot of the research um isn't that's come out isn't good enough because it's mainly been done in Germany and is flawed.
1: Oh, I see. I mm. see. You're all witches flicking the <laughs> holy water <world trip. laughs> at all of the anthroposophic practitioners. That's what yeah. I'm imagining.
0: Yeah, literally. It's a uh, interesting but yeah they've got um things uh, very specific medical disciplines in oncology cardiology pediatrics neurology and psychiatry um which i think is really interesting and they've also a a lot of places talk about a mistletoe treatment for cancer
1: okay (laughs) somebody kisses you under some mistletoe yeah okay good
0: (laughs) as easy as that apparently (laughs) but it's like looking at kind of the thing of that mistletoe is a parasite and uh, therefore can kill cancer cells. So a lot of places still offer this kind of treatment. It was something that was originally created by Rudolf Steiner and also Ita Wegman themselves that created this treatment even before they came together with anthroposophic medicine. What the research has shown is that it does kill cancer cells, not necessarily cancer. So more of a preventative Mm -hmm. for cancer, this sort of treatment, um, which is quite, quite interesting.
1: Yes, I wonder if they've named, if they sort of looked, because I was reading a little bit into like Norse, uh, like Viking mythology Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And there's like a folklore myth about how uh, mistletoe was like the only plant that wasn't cursed by some... Goddess or God
0: Oh really. Um,
1: and it sort of got like forgotten about, and that was like the one plant that could kill one of the other gods. I'm gonna look that up, but it'd be interesting yeah. to see like the folklore myths behind yeah. mistletoe and like see how it's treated and used nowadays as well.
0: Yeah, definitely it would be really interesting, I think. really
1: interesting this is a very cool topic and now I know why you're like I need to do more research and I want to read loads of books because I'm gonna jump on that bandwagon
0: Mm. like I really it's from what it seems to me is that Steiner as a philosopher has obviously read a lot about other philosophies and taken all of these different philosophies into one and been like okay how can we treat people better how can we Mm. make um patient care more efficient um and I think there seems to be a lot of negativity around it. Of course there is, because there always is about things that are different. Very much like one of the um, videos that I saw is there was a doctor on there, an anthroposophic um, doctor, that generally gets asked quite a lot about where does it sit between Eastern and Western mm. ideologies, essentially. And what she said, it was like, it was a truly Christian approach in that I think it was in John or something, that they talk about the I or the I am. Mm. Um, so there's definitely, because it's obviously spiritual. And I think it was also created at a time where there's very much this movement away from Christianity and religion and people understanding more about science. Yeah. And then wanting to find a way of, like, okay, I'm a Christian, but also I'm a medical doctor. So I believe in science. So how can I get these things to work together? Um, and also, kind of, you know, our loss of our spirituality, especially in the UK. Mm-hmm. you know um, there's a, not many people are religious or refer to themselves as religious or spiritual in the UK anymore that I think they were trying to find a way to combine it so I think there's a lot of th- you know especially you know UK were all like religion no thank yeah. you
1: it's just like um, Christmas
0: day Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so I think there's there's probably quite a lot of skepticism around it. But I'm very, very interested in this approach of, okay, let's use the best of everything. And that we've got this sort of medical treatment like modern medicine has saved millions of lives. um, But there's something missing here. Let's focus on providing patients with counselling, companionship, massage, you know, all of this extra stuff to really help support patient outcome. Like, patients have a say in their treatment.
1: Yeah. Um, And what works
0: for individuals as well. Mm. This is
1: a very big coincidence, as I recently bought, like, a big book of, like, all religions. And it Mm. gives, like, a little summary and, like, outlook into, like... a lot of the main religions because i really Mm. want to i don't know a lot about religions in general and i'm not Mm. a religious person either but i want to acknowledge the fact that lots of my future patients might be um Mm. of a particular faith or something like that and i just want to make sure that i understand and appreciate how they might want to be treated yeah very wise thanks Why is it a little lady? Um, It's just important to be respectful towards other people's um, faith or culture, especially if you're not from that culture or um, religion or something like that. Um, Yeah. Because I don't want to offend anyone. And it sounds like uh, this anthroposophic medicine is very inclusive. Yeah. Which sounds delightfully refreshing <laughs>
0: mm. indeed indeed but yeah that's a that's my little summary on anthroposophic medicine probably to be continued to yeah
1: listen, it. yeah of yes. i'm gonna go read some stuff about this later it's medical story time Woo! Woo-hoo! what
0: fucking gross piece of shit have you got for me today girl
1: I've got a a appropriate um conversation to have. Yeah. Because okay. we discussed this drug that I'm going to talk about the, at the end of the ma- of this story mm. with our anatomy teacher.
0: Oh.
1: Oh. I think you can guess what drug it is. Oh,
0: I think so. Yeah.
1: And I just think it's a very interesting topic to talk about because of its mm. historical relevance. And now that we have an aging population that's evolving, which sort of has lots of numbers of patients that are diagnosed with disease-induced sort of bone fragility mm. issues. Mm. So this is the story of the matchstick girls.
0: Mm.
1: And I don't think you've heard of it before. No. Which I'm surprised about so Ooh. let's take it back to mid-1800s
0: oh that tasty tasty period tasty where all period. the gross things happened
1: <laughs> yeah so factories began mass producing matches and matches were fucking great stuff hot shit at the time because people were like oh wow i can actually have a light in my home without like loads of oil and all of that sort of stuff Um, and lots of these factories were hugely successful selling millions of matchboxes a year and then the factory workers many of whom were young women started dying and they were like oh "Oh, damn what's going on um so the symptoms would often start with a simple little toothache nothing to worry about bit of jaw pain and then progress to tissue death and then finally death death
0: Death, death, death. death. The final
1: so, death. You've got to say it twice. <laughs> um, you know when you're going out, but you're going out, out, and you have to say yeah. it twice.
0: Does anyone know? You're literally, been... literally going out, out. Yeah, I've
1: got, I'm going out, out. I've got like proper perfume on and everything. Out, out. Yeah. Yeah, but it was death, death so in some of the... <laughs> so doctors eventually realised that the problem was the kind of phosphorus that they were using in the matches at the time and they called the condition that this um, phosphorus was causing fossy jaw," which is very catchy I feel like anthroposophic medicine could take a little hint and get like a catchy name instead Um, So these days, Fosse jaw would be little more than a relic of history if it weren't for one thing, that it is also a side effect of modern medicine. (gasps) So it's not a thing of the past. So the English chemist John Walker is frequently credited with inventing the type of friction matches that we would recognise back in the 1820s. Mm. the main ingredients for his matches like the head on them was potassium chlorate and antimony sulfide which ignited mm. from the heat of friction if you rub the match on sandpaper we get mm. it. but due to the problems with these matches either not lighting or the head becoming a tiny little fireball which is a bit risky isn't it because you just have like mm. a little match head and then everything's flame. not yeah. good things so they replaced the antimony sulfide with white phosphorus which took mm-hmm. much much less heat to ignite and was therefore much more reliable and soon mm-hmm. all of the factories were using white phosphorus mm-hmm. and then the cases started to roll in so factory workers were developing fossy jaw mm-hmm. and the only treatment of, at the time was removal of the damaged bones which you can see could be quite a big problem so it was clear that the white phosphorus was the problem as well, as one in 10 workers on the factory floor developed a jaw within five years of exposure, while the office workers were unaffected. So white phosphorus oh. is really reactive. So when it's combined oh. with water vapor and carbon dioxide in the workers' breath, as well as the amino acids in their saliva, mm. it creates bisphosphonates which we'll come to later and these compounds suppress the type of bone cell called osteoclasts which we learned about last season so we know about these um so osteoclasts break down and reabsorb regular bone tissue so essentially bisphosphonates keep bones from replenishing themselves and that lack of replenishment is more of a problem for bones with fast cell turnover rates like the mandible which is your jawbone Mm. So in the presence of bisphosphonates, osteonecrosis, or bone death, would occur.
0: Hang on. You said that the only treatment is removal of the diseased bone, and it's very common in the mandible, in the Mm. jawbone. I don't like where this is going. No, no,
1: I don't think you're going to like it at all. (laughs) So this manifested itself initially like i said in toothaches and sort of flu-like symptoms then tooth loss then abscesses Mm. then swelling of Mm. the gums formation of fistulas and necrosis of the jaw Mm. and this all happened within a six month period
0: so from the toothache six months
1: yeah oh mate yeah so an extremely Mm. short period of time Mm. And in the later stages of the disease, the condition affected the brain, provoking seizures in some chronic cases, and then death from either organ failure oh. or malnutrition due to jaw removal.
0: Malnutrition due to jaw removal because they couldn't eat? Yes, oh. essentially. So what would they do? Just take their jaws off and then be like, off you go, into off the night? Pop.
1: cheerio, pip, pip. That was happening, and they were all being advised. Your top treatment tip is get the bones removed. But if you have no jaw left, there's quite a pickle that you're in, isn't it?
0: Yeah. What are you supposed to do? You can't talk. You can't eat. Yeah. How did they? Have you looked at pictures? Yes, I have. How bad is it?
1: It's not nice. It's not nice at all. But factories were telling their employees that if they didn't get their teeth or the tissue like the damaged tissue Mm. removed they would be fired
0: oh my god
1: yeah and i know that factories weren't known in the mid 19th century for exactly having a lot of concern for their factory workers like you just have to look at charles dickens work to know this but for decades like literally decades and decades like centuries nothing changed but in the 1880s Brian and may, which i don 't know if you would recognize their brand, but they 're essentially the main English brand that people still use today,
0: like the yellow boxes
1: that 's the one that 's the one yeah. yeah they were a major matchstick factory employing nearly five thousand people, most of whom were women and girls who worked in terrible conditions. Mm. They worked nearly fourteen hour um, hours per day, paid very little and the company enforced huge huge like big fuck off fines um for things like untidy be- workbenches talking having dirty feet which most of the workers had because shoes were too expensive fun Jesus. things like that they got slapped with a big old fine so Ugh. their very little pay got even further reduced and brian and may were also very aware of the dangers of fossey jaw uh, Very. Com- passionate and all of that sort of stuff by saying we're gonna fire you if you don't get your teeth um taken out or the damaged bone and stuff like that and make sure you get back to work ASAP so fun times these matchmakers were not happy about this and they went on multiple strikes during the 1880s but in 1888 their strike caught the attention of social activist Annie Besson she became aware of the conditions at brian and May factory and wrote about it in her paper and in response to the the owners of the factory tried to get their workers to sign a statement contradicting Besson's article being like yeah we're living our best life like this is fab everyone come over we're having a big party that sort of stuff um but the workers refused um and led by one woman in particular who i can't find the name of her anywhere but she sounds like a badass and she's like hell no um but the Bryant and may company dismissed this woman um which is the thing that led to the matchstick girls strike and a thousand four hundred women and girls refused to work after this dismissal of one woman which i was like ah this is so cool yes i know um the employers offered to reinstate the dismissed woman uh dismissed woman and they Mm. dismissed a couple of women after that as well but they were like no we're not having it so on the 6th of july 1888 the whole factory stopped working and for three weeks the matchstick girls went on strike which i love amazing Mm. um and they actually employed annie besant who like didn't know that they were going on strike or anything like that but she was like this is great i'm gonna have yeah fun time joining in so they went to Annie Besant to help them with their protests and create their terms and they ended up going to parliament to speak to the MPs about their situation as well their terms Mm. were accepted and the strike ended creating better working environment for the matchstick girls with better pay the unfair fines were abolished and meetings were set up directly with the employees and the management because before the girls were only allowed to talk to the foreman on, mm. in their specific areas who just never did anything about their complaints. Mm. And they were allowed to have their breaks away from like the open-stored white phosphorus, mm. which was essentially like getting in all of their food, all of yeah. that sort of stuff. <laughs> so, like, directly Gosh. digesting it. Mm. Super great. And in 1891, the Salvation Army actually opened its own factory in London down the road from brian and may like a big like middle finger up which i loved and they used less toxic red phosphorus and they mm. paid much better and had really good working conditions for the time um, and due to this competition and the bad publicity brian and may started using red phosphorus and by 1901 they no longer used white phosphorus at all And then in 1906, at the Bern Convention, multiple European countries finally signed a treaty banning the use of white phosphorus. Because it was used all over the world. Yeah. Like, all over the world. And, like, until 1906, not really anywhere had decided to ban it or stop using it. Even though they knew about this huge, huge issue with the white phosphorus. So you'd think that would be like a big thing to be like, yeah, we're never going to use white phosphorus yeah. again. It's super dangerous. But, oh, no, no.
0: Bring I around. thought this was going to end on a happy ending for one's be. <laughs> no, no.
1: Um, bring around to the 1990s. So they left it a while. They were like, yeah, we learnt our lesson. But in 1990s, the doctors started prescribing bisphosphonates which we talked about earlier, to treat certain types of bone disease like metastatic cancers, which spread to the bone from other parts of the body, Mm. or osteoporosis and Paget's disease and that sort of thing. And researchers still aren't completely sure how bisphosphonates help with these conditions, but they think that it has something to do with keeping healthy bone cells from being replaced by damaged ones. But it's not really concrete evidence from what I looked no. into I looked at quite a lot of research papers um, but then the jaw bones of some of the patients that they prescribed these medicines to started to become necrotic oh my god, what a, what a shock Jesus <laughs> and then scientists quickly made the connection to the fossil jaw of the late 19th century And realised that the tissue death was the side effect of the medication, so they decided to call this new disease bisphosphy jaw, Um, Mm. and it's it's still a thing. So for a lot of patients, the benefit of bisphosphonates outweigh the risk of developing bisphosphy jaw. So they're still being just prescribed. So drugs like Fosamax. Do you remember?
0: Is that Fosamax? Yes oh my goodness gracious so we had
1: a big discussion about fossamax at uni which its generic name is alendronate that's the one and it's used and treated to prevent osteoporosis which we know lots of women post menopause so yeah. a- around their 50s 60s 70s and that sort of um age bracket um, are more prone to getting osteoporosis and they, they don't actually know what the optimal treatment period to have Fosamax for because they can see that it does have initial really good effects but they don't know the optimal duration for treatment and it's been seen that there's lots of sort of atypical femur fractures osteonecrosis of the jaw and esophageal cancer yeah like there's been cases where women have just been walking down the street mm. and they've not tripped they've not fallen and their femur breaks mm. because of how damaging this bisphosphonate based drug is so i've read a couple of papers around this subject as i said there's one by helstein and marek which was published mm. in 2005 title Bisphosphonate phosphonate or bisphossy jaw, is this the fossy jaw of the twenty first century? So, and there's a couple of other ones like a case report in two thousand fifteen by Pollock Brown and Rubin, which had a sixty eight year old woman who had to have a jaw replacement because she'd been on Fosamax for two years, and she went to the dentist. He took a couple of teeth out. Some of them didn't heal. They went for the further like exploration they found that her jaw was crumbling and then they had to put like an Jesus. external fixator in so it, it's crazy to see that it, the parallels between the time now and mm. when it was when women and girls were going on strike in the 1880s yeah because of the damage that it was doing to the factory workers mm. and we do have a huge amount of thanks to give to the matchstick girls for bringing it into such like a historic event Mm. so that we know what the symptoms to look for are and which people are most at risk um so it might have taken a long time for the world to realize the extent to Mm. how effective bisphosphonate is on the body and to like the extreme conditions that factory workers are under but over 130 years later, and the legacy of the Matchstick Girls is living on in modern medicine.
0: Fucking hell! Yeah. Um, and I'm now also gonna look at a picture of yeah, Foster jaw. I'm gonna be brave. Go on.
1: I did have a look at um, what a jaw replacement surgery looked like, and it's quite gruesome, actually.
0: Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> Jesus! No. Why did I do it? Why did I do it? <laughs> Why? No. Yeah. I was trying to, trying to be brave. <laughs> I think we've all got things we're going to research in more detail
1: after this episode today. We're really happy to be back. Can't wait to give you more and more interesting, weird stuff. Um, and if you want yeah. to follow us on social media, it's at double t double o s podcast. And we still really, really want to know about your osteopathy experiences. And yes. if you have any other sort of experiences you want to tell us about with healthcare or injuries or illness or conditions and or, or things that you think that we might find interesting, we would really love to know. Um, and you can email us at podcast at gmail.com
0: and we'd love to hear from you happy bloody new year everyone let's hope yeah. 2021 is amazing uh, send you lots of love yeah. and we'll see you again next week thank you so much goodbye goodbye Bye.